Sisters and brothers, I want you to imagine that you decide to take some time to pray. And you, you've carved out time in your schedule, you've turned off the TV, you've put the phone out of reach, you can't hear it, you can't see it, and you decided that you are going to pray, pray, and pray. You close your eyes and you pray and you start thinking about all the things that you want to pray about. And you start thinking about your family, maybe your children or your parents, or maybe, maybe your spouse and maybe that, that cousin that's getting on your nerves a little bit. And, and you start going through. Maybe you pray for your boss or, or maybe you start praying for things you hear about in church. Maybe you, you pray for your big-headed preacher. Maybe you pray and you pray for all these things that come to your mind. And you're thinking, wow, I'm finally, I'm finally in such a, a mode of prayer. And you happen to open your eyes and you realize 30 seconds has passed. <laughs> you ever had that experience before? <laughs> If you have, then you know that we need to be careful with how much we're willing to criticize the disciples of Jesus. I wonder if some of us would have been asleep with Jesus on that night in the garden as Jesus prayed. See, Jesus knew what was about to happen in his ministry. And after celebrating Passover with his disciples, he takes his disciples to this garden called Gethsemane. It's a, it's a garden that he was familiar with, a garden, a place that he had frequented a whole lot, so much so that Judas knew that he was going to be there, and that's where he led all the people who would arrest Jesus. Interestingly enough, the word Gethsemane itself translates into oil press. This was a garden for olives to be pressed to receive their olive oil. It's a very... Excuse me, a very fitting place then for Jesus to be because can't you feel the pressure that he is facing right now? Can't you feel the torment that he is experiencing? Mark tells us that as he went on, he took James and Peter and John with them and he became grieved, distressed, and agitated. Can you imagine your sweet Jesus? being distressed and agitated. Now, most of us know the scene by now. Jesus goes a little further and he prays to God to take this cup from him. In other words, he's saying, God, if there's another way, let's do that instead. But I don't want to do what I want to do, Jesus says. God, I want to do what you want to do. I hope we realize how much of a powerful prayer that is. What a faithful example our Lord gave us in this dire time of his life. And as it seems, three times at least, perhaps he needs the companionship of his disciples. And each time he needs his disciples, what are they doing? Sleeping. <coughs> Excuse me. Each time he needs to seek them maybe for encouragement. Or maybe for a little prayer with them. He doesn't find them ready. He finds them asleep. They aren't discussing with each other about what's happening. They aren't thinking about the last time Jesus brought them all together on the mountain. He was transfigured. Do you remember that? These were the same three that Jesus took. They aren't talking about maybe something like that's going to happen 
They aren't keeping watch like Jesus has asked them to do. The fact is, at the most critical time of Jesus' ministry, when he probably needed them the most, they slept. All of the disciples, if you remember how the entire story goes, had just told Jesus that they would stand with him even if it meant death. And the first chance they got to prove it, they failed. And before we criticize them, again, sisters and brothers, let's confess that too often, more often than we like to admit, they are us. What has God called the church to be about today? What has God called the disciples of Jesus today to be about when we have been too busy sleeping or doing anything else to respond. Now, i got to confess something to you. <coughs> Excuse me, sisters and brothers, I have to confess. <coughs> I didn't eat my Wheaties this morning. But I need to confess to you something. It's not, more, it's not a confession, it's more of a declaration. And because I see Jesus praying in the garden and I see the, the way he's praying, and I see some of the, I think, disappointment. And the disciples can't help but think about what prayer is supposed to mean for me and maybe for us and hopefully what prayer means for you. And I'm going to tell you something, and you're probably not going to like it at first. It's probably going to shock you. It's probably going to disturb you. You're probably not going to listen to anything else I say after that. But stay with me, okay? I don't believe too much in the power of prayer. Now, I know some of you know me enough to to think that that sounds weird, but, I, but, but stay with me here. I don't believe in the power of prayer for the sake of saying the power of prayer. Because we don't pray just for the sake of praying, do we? We pray for the sake of connecting our lives, our spirits, our will to that of God. Am I right about that? When we are praying, we are trying to connect to God in a way that we can't always do with other ways. Our hope is to be rooted and grounded in our identity in Christ. And prayer is a powerful way that we do that. Amen? Amen. But the power that we experience isn't prayer's power. It's God's power. See, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God that we experience through prayer. Y'all with me? Y'all feel a little bit better now? You see, when we pray, we're not saying, ooh, I hope this prayer works. Like it's some kind of magic formula or magic potion. We aren't saying, ooh, I hope this is the right prayer to pray at the right time. What we're asking is, God, I'm going to pray and I need your power to work through that prayer. Are you with me? That's the difference, sisters and brothers, and I think that's the difference that Jesus recognized in his prayer life and maybe even especially at this most dire time in his ministry. Now, maybe it's a little too early for semantics for us to start parsing out words like that, but I want you to watch how this plays out for Jesus. In his most pressing time of need, Jesus prayed. Prayed. He may have prayed for five, ten minutes at a time. Maybe if you read it a certain way, he may have, may have prayed for an hour by himself. 
But at this most pressing time, his first response seems to be to pray. And if you realize, if you pay attention to how it's going on, the prayer that he gives, it doesn't seem to make him feel any better. It doesn't make him, doesn't make anything else around him go away when he still comes and sees the disciples all three times. I think he's still disappointed that they're asleep. I think he still sees what he knew to be true about them. And sometimes when we think of our prayer as just something that we do to make God do something that we want, you could look at that and say, well, prayer didn't work for Jesus. His disciples were still getting ready to abandon him. He was still fixing to head to a cross. But that's not how prayer works, sisters and brothers. What Jesus did is he had this understanding that prayer does indeed connect him. It connected him to to God and to the will of God in a way that he needed the most. His prayer didn't change his disciples' attitudes. It didn't change what the Roman guards were going to do to him. It didn't change what the chief priests were going to do to him. But you know what it did? It redirected him to what was most important, God's will. You, you, You know the passage, right? What's the passage? When Jesus says, not my will, but your will. Or as Mark tells us, Jesus prays, Abba, Father, God, Daddy, for you all things are possible. And since that's so, remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. That is, sisters and brothers, you will hear me say repeatedly, the most faithful thing we could ever pray. That takes courage to pray. That takes conviction to pray. It certainly takes faith to pray. And what else but God's power could shift our focus off of ourselves? Because I don't know if you've realized this or not yet. We tend to focus a lot on ourselves. And only the power of God could shift our focus off of ourselves directly to the will of God. And when Jesus needed his will to be redirected the most, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed for God's will to be done. And part of what I think we can see in this experience in the Garden of Gethsemane is what's important is not how long you pray. Whether you're praying for those 30 seconds or whether your prayer goes into hour two, three, or four, or whether you learn what it means to pray without ceasing, what's most important is the openness you have to experience the power of God as you pray. And as you pray, maybe the power of God needs to bring you peace or comfort at certain times. Well, you know what the power of God's going to do? It's going to bring you peace and comfort when you need it. Maybe when you pray, you need the power of God to bring you some assurance. Or maybe you need the power of God to bring you encouragement. Or maybe you need the power of God to bring you some answer. Or maybe you need the power of God to strengthen you like nothing else is being able to do. Well, the power of God will do those things, sisters and brothers, as we pray. As we pray. But we also need to remember that our praying is not all about us. 
And I know that hurts our feelings. Because we would like prayer to be all about us. But it's not. If the most important person in your life all of a sudden became grieved and agitated, how do you think you would respond? Think, think about that. Maybe it's a spouse or maybe a parent or something. The most important person in your life. Let's just say something happens and at a moment's notice they become distressed and agitated. That's what Mark says about Jesus. How would you respond to that? You might become distressed and agitated too, wouldn't you? If someone you love, if someone you have given your life to, all of a sudden something is tearing them apart, because of the connection, because of the love you have with that person, you're probably going to start feeling some of that pain as well. Am I right? or am I, I'm, not, I'm not making anything up, right? But what do the disciples of Jesus do? You see, I, I'm willing to say I think that Jesus was the most important person in their life. They had been following him. They had gone through his ministry. had seen so much. And I think for them, in a moment's notice, it seems like everything begins to turn. He becomes distressed and agitated. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Why do they fall asleep? Because they were tired. And when you're tired, you fall asleep. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means they saw Jesus distressed and agitated. They, they could feel the pressure probably that he was under, but they were too tired to care. Y'all with me? They were too worried, too focused on what mattered to them to make what mattered to Jesus at this moment matter to them. And that's just like us, isn't it? The first moment they had a chance to say, you know what, Jesus, we are. We are going to stand up for you. We are going to be with you. We will pray for you. The first chance, they're snoring. And I just wonder if sometimes when we come to church week in and week out, we sing words like, send me, here I am, or yes, we are able. And the only thing that's really on our mind is getting out of here before 12. Because you know the lion's going to start, <clears throat> lion's going to start backing up at the lunch place. You know we got to get get out of here before the game starts. We can't miss the pregame show either. Because you know how wise these people are at the pregame show. You know what they tell you? They ask, well, how are we going to beat? How is one team going to beat the other team? Well, the other team has to score more points than the other team. We can't miss that, can we? But do you see what we've done? We've let what matters more to us supersede what matters more to God. It's just like us. Our best prayer is not, God, do this for me. Anybody can pray that prayer, sisters and brothers. Anybody can feel so desperate enough they don't know what else to do but, all right, if you're up there, then do this for me. Anybody can pray that prayer. The best prayer that we have as followers of Jesus is, God, you know what I want, but I'm here to learn what you want. God, you know how I feel about this, but I need to know how you feel. 
God, I know what I would want this to look like, but I need to know what your will is. The best prayer that you and I can pray as the body of Christ is the same prayer that Jesus prayed that night in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. That's faithful prayer, sisters and brothers. And I'm convinced that prayer itself didn't yield Jesus' spirit to God's will. The power of God did. The power of God gave Jesus the courage to walk out of that garden. The power of God gave Jesus the strength, just knowing what was about to happen, to move forward. After time spent in prayer, Jesus was ready to face his biggest challenge. That challenge was, was he going to do what he wanted or was he going to be faithful to what God was calling him to do? And sisters and brothers, hear my prayer. When I ask God to give us the strength to respond in the same way that Jesus did. To give us enough strength, enough courage, enough faithfulness to pray for God's will to be done instead of our own. Amen? Amen.